This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say, what's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time, but I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. See you later. The Wednesday Week is sponsored by the Riverside Cafe, the perfect place for a pre-match pint. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday week, um, which I say I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek on the basis of the fact that I'm James and I am the only Wednesday weeker that's actually um, that's actually here because the rest of them are all in a pub getting drunk with their friends and family. So instead, um, I'm in a pub getting drunk with a microphone. Um, I'm not on my own. I've been joined um, by one of our, I say, podcasting chums from Al's Americast, James Allen. Hello. Hello. Um, you, you may be known to some as the uh, Manhattan Owl. So, yeah, this I mean, this was originally going to be like our kind of Christmas special, and the idea was that we were going to have Chris Holt from the star here as well, uh, and I was going to bill it as our festive three-way, which I found hilarious. Probably no one else would find it funny. Um, but oh, um, I also found it hilarious because I got yeah. to tell people that I'd been invited to a three-way, yeah, yeah. which I haven't actually been able to do in the last 17 years. So <laughs> um, and yet, ultimately, of course, it's a big letdown. And uh, Chris can't be here because he's working extra hard because uh, Dom Housen is off today. So hashtag blame Dom. Um, now it's kind of like I say, it's sort of like a Christmas special. But to be fair, like there is no fancy format to this because we are literally going to be talking about four days in the world of Sheffield Wednesday. And actually, it's really only three days because one of those was Christmas Day and nothing happened on Christmas Day. So we're reflecting on um, Saturday when we played. Middlesbrough, Sunday which was Christmas Eve and then as we record now on Wednesday, yesterday was Boxing Day and we played Nottingham Forest so we're talking about three days where an insane amount has happened in the great Wednesday world hasn't it? It's been a lifetime in Wednesday history in uh, in a very very short space of time when uh, most of us have been distracted doing one or two other things in fact 
you and I, James, were sat uh, on uh, the same sides of, uh, of a different table doing a different podcast last week uh, for the Al's uh, Americast, um, yes. previewing the Middlesbrough game. Um, I don't think a week's passed since we were sat there. So, yeah, yeah. it's incredible that uh, I think we sat there saying, well, we're... You know, we're fairly glum about how things are going and uh, and probably didn't have great expectations for the run of games coming up or for, for the likelihood of any change before the end of the season. Four yeah. days later, here we are and, uh, and the world's turned upside down. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot for us to sort through, but um, in, in time-ordered ordered Owls Americast fashion, um, we should really start with the most important question of the night, which is, what are you drinking, James? Um, can I be honest and say I don't know because you just ordered it. Uh, it's a it's a coffee porter uh, from Magic Rock, I think. It is uh, Magic Rock. Uh, it's called Common Grounds and it's a triple coffee porter. What that means, I don't know. I guess we'll that find means out in about I mean, five minutes. Time. Nescafe, um, me- uh, maybe um, I don't know. What, Maxwell House, uh, and, Maxwell House and, a, and a shot of espresso and, and maybe yeah, some. Um, what's the one that George Clooney sells? Oh, Nes- uh, not Nescafe, uh, Nespresso. That's, that's it, probably, probably that as well. Um, I don't know where the George Clooney reference comes from. Uh, this, is, this is audio, not visual, but I can promise you on this side of the table there's nobody who looks like George Clooney. James, of course, is, a, is an absolute mirror image of Of course, of yeah, beauty, yeah, yeah. So. I often, often get mistaken. I'll try and control him, myself. Him. If only it was, because then it wouldn't be that guy from the um, bloody um, Eon adverts on the TV, which um, I still get asked about quite a lot. Um, I'm actually drinking exactly the same at the moment, but I do have my next pint, which is lined up, which is um, also Magic Rock. Uh, it's Ringmaster. And it's a 3.9% pale ale. Uh, I emphasise the fact that it's 3.9%, which is a reflection on how delicate I am uh, as we uh, sit here now. I actually feel better than I expected to do after Boxing Day in in, in, in my world is quite a hectic day because it's always football, followed by a night out by all my friends that have kind of moved away over the years, that come back for Christmas, we all get together on Boxing Day, have a big night out. Um, so I kind of crawled home at about half past four this morning. Which makes me have a wry smile. So you were crawling home as I was getting up. So I've got I've got two small kids. So th- this is a respite for me from uh, from a few days of uh, of organised fun and mayhem. Um, but yeah, the uh, the bigger one has been getting up about four o'clock in the morning. So you you were getting wow. into bed, I was getting out of bed. So, yeah. uh, so hopefully we can find some uh, some happy medium in the form of uh, beer and football. I mean, you say bed. I, I would love to pretend that I actually woke up in bed. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But that's a different story. Who's um, bed? The the my sofa is very comfortable. <laughs> as I've discovered on many occasions. Welcome to um, the private life of James Marriott. Yeah. Very well, thank you. Anyway, um, let's get down to business and talk football. So first of all, uh, Middlesbrough. It feels like an age ago. It really does feel like an age ago. Um, but it was four days. It was Saturday. It was a different era ago, at least. It, it certainly was, yeah. It really was. Um, and it, you know, it, it felt, in hindsight, it feels like the game where we kind of closed a chapter in the history of Sheffield Wednesday Um, but at the time we weren't to know that and it was an unusual afternoon Um, again we saw a couple of um, surprising changes with Atty Nuiu coming into the team which caused the usual divide among um, among the fan base I wasn't overly impressed with that decision personally. What were what were your? Well, it was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Time? Because you know, re- rewind a week, and I think um, I think on this pod last week, you were uh, you were in a fairly intense debate with Lord Hillsborough about um, yeah. about the merits of Dave, um, yeah. which uh, Lord Hillsborough then kindly uh, pointed out that uh, James from the Alstor podcast 
um, which I mean, might well be talking about James Hargreaves, but I think he was talking about me as, uh, as a well-known uh, New Who hater. I don't hate New Who. I, I just don't think he's the answer to a, a Wednesday solution that gets promoted. Um, but I think your position was, let's start him, let's see what the difference is he makes when he's, uh, when he's on from the first minute, not from the 78th minute. And frankly, he made no difference. Um, in fact, he was almost completely ineffectual, in my opinion. And yeah, I mean, you know, oddly enough, and we didn't realise it at the, the time, we, we were basically watching Carlos throw the last starts of the board. Yep. You know, we had, uh, we had Dave come into the starting lineup. Uh, Venancio came into the, the team from nowhere, quite literally. Um, he's gone back to nowhere, and we'll come yeah. back to that in a, in a few <laughs> minutes. But, but yeah, I mean, I think um, we were in the Riverside Cafe together when the team came out at two o'clock on Saturday and there was there was essentially a collective uh, gasping of what the fuck went up around the uh, around the beer garden because I don't think anybody saw that lineup coming it was um, I mean in hindsight do we class it as being a, a last throw of the dice uh, a last you know flinging of some shit against the wall it certainly looked like a um, look I've tried everything I'm going to try this last last mix but the interesting thing was it, it was a change of personnel it wasn't a change of style yeah. it wasn't a change of game plan there was no, you know there was nothing adventurous in terms of of Carlos you know saying I'm going to actually bro- break my own rule book what he was basically saying is I'm going to take the same rigid formation the same way of playing and drop a different set of players into it and see what happens and yeah. look, I mean let's cut to the chase nothing different happened you know we uh, we, we we started a little brighter maybe and we you know we certainly broke well for the first goal but the rest of the game was was almost uh, it was like watching the last season and a half in reverse you know it was Wednesday at their worst in terms of sitting back on a one 0 lead and um, and just just not threatening I mean Middlesbrough were all over us both sides of the goal in, in the second half they uh, they embarrassed us I thought. I mean, I think I think we are quite within our rights to make this an outrageously positive podcast because I think we we would both class ourselves as as happy clappers, um, and you know we have a, a, a regular ongoing um, WhatsApp conversation which has become increasingly depressing over the uh, over the last few weeks and um, and, and months. Um, so let's let's pick on the one positive from the Middlesbrough game, which was the goal, which I thought was a superb goal. It beautifully worked, wasn't it? I think yeah, it was reach broke our halfway. Best kind of team goal of the season. And oddly enough, a, a little. And I think where people were getting really excited in the stadium at the time was, you know, look what we can do when we break at speed. Because reach picked the ball up on halfway and absolutely pelted down the left wing. Beautiful run. Um, I think it was, you know, quick first time ball across Hooper. The, the control in the turn. That was uh, that was gorgeous to see. And then first time finish from Wallace. It was it was fantastic. Yeah. And again, it was kind of it was Wednesday at their free flowing best. Yeah. Um, just sandwished with with a lot of the things that have kind of taken even us happy clappers down a I was going to say a notch or two about a hundred notches or two over the last, uh, last it's, three it's, four months it's kind of wore us down to kind of a point of no return hasn't it I yeah. mean it was I think we've been um, you know completely exacerbated in, in certainly like the conversations that we have when generally you're over in America anyway so it's, it's kind of like you know the few hours of, of day that we're both awake um, where we kind of grow increasingly you know in despair at what's been um, what's been going on and that was probably summed up in the space of 45 minutes in that second half because we pretty much just didn't turn up did we we, we came out with the intention of just defending a lead um, assuming that Middlesbrough are out of form therefore they'll not offer anything and um, you know, we just we just got found out we did I mean I, there, were, there were plenty of warning signs in the first half Stuart Downing was, um, was I thought pretty impressive yep. on the right hand side he was um, <laughs> he was giving Daniel Padilla a fairly torrid time he was back in the lineup again um, 
And yeah, I mean, I, I don't like the phrase it didn't turn up because, you know, it kind of in, almost implies that we were chasing shadows. But the, the game plan seemed to be that somehow or other we were going to ride out a 1 0 win and that that would be enough. Um, and, you know, Middlesbrough side were high in confidence going forward, they didn't look especially clever at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get a sense, and we, again, we're going to talk about it in a second, but when this team unleashes, it can do real damage to other teams. Um, and it just seemed like such a squandered opportunity. And as that got longer and longer into the game, Middlesbrough just came onto us wave after wave of attack. Yeah, I mean, the, there was kind of, the writing was on the wall while we were still 1 0 up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I can't really recall us having an attack in the second half. And. I can tell we didn't, because my dad and I were sat down the um, the cop end of the south stand. Right. The, the seats are pretty narrow there, and I've got quite long legs. So if I'm sat in the south stand, you can tell which way the game's been played, by which way which my knees are pointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My knees were pointing squarely at the, uh, the corner flag at the south stand end of the Mackey's Lane, um, end of the stadium. So, yeah, there wasn't much coming down the cop uh, second half, unfortunately. Yeah. I said earlier, trying to keep this quite a kind of a positive outlook on on things, which I you know, certainly like the the next kind of 30, 40 minutes of this podcast will all be generally quite positive, uh, positive stuff. But I have to say, and, and I've felt this for the last few games of, of Carlos's reign, that our um, like the, the closing few minutes of a game when we're behind has been the most worrying thing for me. Like on, on Saturday we're two one down against Middlesbrough, you know, in theory we're absolutely still in that in that game. And yet, you know, I, I left a couple of minutes into injury time to go and do my bloody channel five uh, what's it um, and didn't feel in any way that I was gonna miss anything worth seeing and, and that shouldn't be the case. When you're two one down at home going into injury time, you should feel like you're throwing everything at a team to try and you know nick a point out of it or maybe even get you know some a, 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 an equalizer quite early in injury time and then throw everything at them and try and win it that just the last few games it's not been there from from us like our our game um, it's not even game management is it it's kind of like you know kind of getting back into it management it's just been non-existent it's not been there I, with with the benefit of hindsight what we're going to start talking about in a second is, is seeing and it, to an extent it's kind of to the credit of the players just how disciplined they've been in, in following orders um, because yeah, I mean, we could have we could have said the same thing after the Wolves game. You know, one 0 down, ten minutes to go. Were we battering the door down and kind of you know chance after chance, you know, big gasps and kind of excitement in the stadium, kind of that pull that we had. Bristol City last season, you know, where where, where was that spark and that charge that we used to have? And you know, the simple answer it wasn't there against Wolves. It definitely wasn't there against Borough. Um, I think you know the stadium was half empty by the time the final whistle was blown. Which, as it turned out, was. Um, was probably kind of emblemic of what was about to happen, and and it turned out that you were actually presiding over the kiss of death on the Carlos era, yeah. literally as the uh, the final balls were being kicked at his uh, his tenure. Have you um, have you ever known a game of football before where both managers get sacked afterwards? Not where the winning team's manager gets sacked before the losing team's manager. Bizarre. If if you'd have you know heard on the grapevine on Sunday morning oh one of the managers being sacked after that game you would immediately assume oh well Carlos has gone you wouldn't have thought that you know, Middlesbrough recorded their first win in however long uh, and their season looks like it's back on and yet Gary Mutt gets the uh, gets the chop and, and re- again retrospectively four days is, uh, is obviously a benefit but you've got to assume that they had Goulis lined up before that that decision had already been made a little bit like when we parted ways Mason Mason actually. yeah 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 you know that thing Things have been in motion, and it was almost irrespective of the result that they were going to make that decision. But yeah, yeah for both managers to go um, at you know the first game of the Christmas period, I'm, I'm not a statistician, but I'd be I'd be fascinated to know if that's ever happened before. Yeah, I've can't, I've, I've researched it and see see if I can find anything similar, and 
I, I've certainly not come across anything that's that's kind of panned out in the way that um, that it has. Because one thing that has happened in the past is Sheffield Wednesday sacking a manager on Christmas Eve, or uh, parting ways with a manager on um, Christmas Eve, and ultimately, of course, history was to repeat itself. Although, in should we describe it as a very um, a, a very kind of Sheffield Wednesday way of doing it, because it certainly wasn't a normal a normal 24 hours it was even normal 10 hours in, uh, in in kind of how you know a manager leaving a football club in the aftermath of a disappointing defeat um, to kind of um, to run through Saturday night how it kind of unfolded for me so after the game <clears throat> had a few drinks went back home did my normal thing I actually got home relatively early did my normal thing of falling asleep on the sofa um, relatively early in the evening uh, and waking up and kind of dragging myself to bed and then just checking my phone and it was around the time that this statement was was breaking from the uh, from the chairman um, and I think Rob from Radio Sheffield had, had kind of posted a couple of screenshots from it so kind of half asleep still a little bit tipsy kind of read this statement um, and then read it again and thought I, I, I need to sleep for a few hours and then read this again because this I, I can't quite understand what the heck's going on here because it wasn't what you expect a statement to be from a football club it was quite incoherent it was a little bit rambly at times there were actually words missing from it um, and my theory is that Mr Chancery discovered Belgian Blue for the first time on Saturday after the game thought it's Christmas um, he, uh, he got himself one of those nice little mini kegs polished it off two in the morning thought right I know what I'm going to do um, so it goes on I assume they've got like a content management system for um, swfc.co.uk types away thinks right I'll do it falls asleep probably on the sofa just like me um, wakes up kind of 10 o'clock in the morning kind of groans a little bit oh what have I done looks at his phone and he's got all these notifications and thinks oh god I hope it's nothing bad and realises what he done and thinks right what do I do to sort this out now <laughs> someone get Carlos on the phone Sorry, Carlos, you're going to have to go. That's my theory on what happened on Saturday night in Sheffield Wednesday land. This is, um, this is like CSI Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have to do a, like a reconstructive timeline of what happened between 5pm on Saturday yeah, yeah. and 10am uh, and on Sunday morning. Because it's, it's to not, be a fly on the wall. It, it's not entirely logical. I mean, nothing, nothing is logical, actually, about a lot of things Wednesday at the best of times. But, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that's... What, one thing that's very clear is that statement was written in the first person by Mr. Chancery. Yeah, it was completely different to any other statement. Any, that any he's other done statement you've seen published on his, his, his words. This, this was his yeah. words almost verbatim. And it, actually, you and I have both sat in steering group meetings, yeah. and you'll know that um, you know English isn't his first language. He works very hard at it, and actually, I think you know, he communicates a hell of a lot better in English than I can communicate in Thai. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, but. You know, it does lead to slightly longer statements yeah. um, and sometimes a few misplaced words, which is definitely what we heard in the statement, and therefore a lot of misinterpretation of what he actually meant. What, he, what his core message seemed to be is, you know, I want Sheffield Wednesday to be a family, um, which speaks actually to a lot of the themes that you've talked about on this podcast over the last few months. You know, the need to reconnect with the fan base mm-hmm. to make this a family, family club in the true sense, not in the appropriated sense. Um, and you know, having a, a fairly heavy go at those who've uh, who've been exceptionally negative, um, not just in terms of levelling constructive criticism. I think I think he accepts that, but those who who have levied you know genuinely uh, offensive and, and you know abusive messages on social media. So, a lot of words to say something not particularly complicated. And then the next piece that we get out is a. Um, 
a mutual decision for Carlos to leave the club, which would imply that they'd had a conversation before he posted that message coming back to the CSI thing. Um, which then raises the question why that wasn't the first piece of news to come out and then the, ch- the chairman's statement would follow it as opposed to the, the chairman's statement to come out overnight. So your Belgian blue theory is classic. Um, I really like the idea of, uh, of Mr. Transiri nipping down the more market and getting himself a micro yeah, yeah. from uh, from Beer Central. If that's what happened on Saturday morning before the game, you know, like us, he thought he needed to tank himself up before he could uh, he could watch us one more time, then, then fair enough. But, but yeah, I, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall because I, I don't yeah. genuinely understand how that came to pass. I, I think what you're actually seeing, if you distill it all down, is a man who was very emotional about having to part ways with someone who he'd personally committed to, who'd put you know his pride at stake uh, in seeing the job through. And as we talked about last week, it was becoming patently obvious wasn't going to see yeah. the job through. Yeah. So, I mean, a strange morning. By kind of lunchtime on Sunday, we'd seen, a, I mean, a, a bit of a fallout really among the fan base of people who were probably surprised and perhaps a little bemused by the original statement as people kind of one by one woke up and and read it and then reread it and then reread it again. Bearing in mind it's Christmas um, Eve as well, so you know, there's a few yeah. other things going on. Odd. Um, I couldn't help thinking just how completely unnecessary that original statement was on the basis of the fact that you know it, it didn't uh, it didn't uh, say in so many words but it certainly suggested that he was standing by his man and that you know Carlos was going to remain as manager you know less than 10 hours later then Carlos leaves the club which does as you say kind of imply that that was a very kind of organic process uh, and that certainly you know at, at two in the morning as he polished off his final pint of Belgian blue that the plan was not for Carlos to to go and then you know kind of in in, in, in the hours that follow in hindsight, a conversation takes place and they realise maybe it is. Do you think it was hindsight or do you think Carlos fell on this sword? Um, I d- it's so, uh, I, I, as we said, to be a fly on the wall and to actually see how that played out. And maybe in you know in weeks and months and stuff to come, we might start to get a bit of an insight into that. I'm sure you know the next steering group, that question will be raised and someone will, will, will query you know, what exactly happened there for a statement that, that, that did rattle quite a lot of our fan base because it was... Not quite aggressive, but it it was as aggressive a statement as you get from a club chairman. You know, kind of not not quite digging into the fans, but you know there was an element there of kind of saying, you know, you guys have got a role to play here, and you're not doing it about that statement. Um, when actually the news that followed that Carlos had left kind of galvanised the fan base more than anything because I think there were people that were genuinely relieved by that and even people that I think had, had stood by Carlos and accepted the fact that you know for the good of the club and for things to move forward it has to happen and it has to go um, and, and, and you know as that kind of broke and as that happened it kind of did feel like finally we can put that to bed now and it's kind of like a fresh start and it was like a weight had been lifted like yesterday in the pub before the Forest match uh, the feeling among us was very much it was very positive but it was as if like you know the dark clouds had, had moved and it was a fresh start now and it didn't you know it didn't it didn't really matter whether or not we we won at Forest yesterday to be fair it was just about the fact that now at least you know we can finally put to bed a, a chapter that started so well had gone so sour and was in danger of becoming really quite unpleasant um, and you know finally now it's a bit of a clean break oh it's funny isn't it I mean we- you and I have been talking about this relationship analogy for quite a long time. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the reason why so many people have, I think, reached out to you in particular and to, to the Wednesday Week in particular and said, you know, let's have a positive podcast is because yeah. I, I think the majority of fans have recognised this was something that had to happen in order for us to move forward. Yeah. And now it has happened, we can start talking about moving forward. And 
no, nobody likes talking about litigating how we got here. Everyone wants to talk about where we're going, and we should be yeah. talking about where we're going. I think that's where the enthusiasm comes in, regardless of the result that we got at Forest. But that relationship analogy, I mean, you know, I've been uh, I've been married for uh, for seven going on eight years in a relationship for for sixteen going on seventeen years. So it's, it's not one I can personally attest to, but I think we all know that story of the you know the person who you thought was the one, but over time turned out not quite to be the one, and you both know it needs to to finish, but you can't quite find a way to end it. And then when it finally happens, you know, there's this kind of almost feeling of euphoria I think that people have when they they know they can move on with their life and and kind of go on to other things. And, that's what's happened with the fan base I think you know we thought Carlos was going to be the one we thought he was the one that would have taken us up but it turns out he was a stepping stone he, he's done magnificent things this club um, and anybody who wants to slate his record needs the head examining in my opinion because you know it hasn't ended well but where he's taken us to as a, as a football club in terms of infrastructure in terms of results the two seasons in the playoffs have, uh, have, have been levels that we've not hit in 20 going on 30 years and, and he, need, he deserves enormous credit for that yeah. but he's not the one who's going to push us over the line so that's, that's where the enthusiasm comes because the real question now is well who is going to be that person Who's, who's going to galvanise us? Who's going to turn us into the, the fourth season wonders that get promoted? Um, you know, I, I kind of use the analogy of Brighton. A lot of people at the beginning of this season were talking about Brighton as being the model we were following. Yeah. You know, we've had one knockback, we're going to follow it up. Well, it's not a simple story like that. Brighton actually went through a five-year arc to get to the Premier League. They, um, they had two good seasons under Gus Poyet. all fell apart in the third, and then yeah, it was Chris Houston that finally got them up. My view has always been that that's probably the model we've got to follow. We're going to need to let the rest of the club catch us up to get us up there. So, yeah, um, I, 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 I kissed him and hugged him and, uh, and smothered him with love just like everybody else. And, and I'll, I'll always love him, but he's, he's not going to be the one that we're going to be attached to all the way to complete the ride. Feeling aware that he maybe um, just about went in the nick of time for people to still kind of think of him very fondly. You know, I, I think he probably should have gone, I mean, I felt he should have gone after the Bolton game, but certainly maybe after the Wolves game a couple of weeks ago was the time that was, you know, really the right time for him to um, to go. But maybe he, you know, he just about went at a point whereby people can still have those positive memories and, and kind of, you know, wish him well. I think that he leaves with the, the blessing of most Sheffield Wednesday fans and I think there have been some unpleasant things said over the last few weeks and there's been people on particularly on social media that have said things about Carlos that I think have been wholly inappropriate and very disrespectful for a guy that's evidently worked very hard and actually you know achieved some amazing things with a group of players that we've um, that we've that we've got and brought something to this club that we've not had probably since you know last time we sat together and recorded we were, we were reminiscing about the early 90s that was probably the last time when when we, you know we've kind of had the that, that buzz around the place that we had during the first year under um, under Carlos I kind of like the fact that you know we can keep those positives I feel if, if ever he you know, when he moves on and gets another club if ever he came back to Hillsborough with another club he'd get a good reception and I like that he's got he's got to and he should do um, it's going to be hard by the way you know, you've used this analogy before James that you know there's going to be a point where we're going to see him with a with another club and we're going to, we're going to it's going to stir some strange emotions in us right but there's going to be a bit of jealousy a little bit of kind of um, are they better than us what, what do they do that we don't um, that's, that's going to be hard is it, for us is it because their ground's bigger yeah is that it <laughs> Is, is their playing squad a little bit more impressive? Yeah, um, all sorts of things like that. But you know, we've, we've kind of got to let that happen. And you know, to, again, to give Mr. Chancery his due, I thought he, he was 
I've not seen this statement from a football chairman in releasing a football manager before. He's not just recognising his contribution in kind of the normal form of words, but he is and will always remain a part of the Wednesday family, and that's the way that the fan base should treat him. You know, if he if he could find his himself a role in in, te- in the technical side of Wednesday. Um, I would welcome him with open arms because I, I do think he's made enormous contributions to changing the way that we as fans think about what we should expect from our team. Yeah. Um, I think we just saw that he'd reached a, a level where maybe his ideas didn't go far enough to be able to re-energise and, and to to change a team in the way we were talking about uh, mid-game uh, or across the course of a season. He was just so wedded to his style that it was getting up. Um, and there was that kind of, I think, two minutes of, of chanting of Carlos out coming from the cop at the end of the Middlesbrough game. You might not have heard it because you were outside recording your video. But yeah, yeah, well, it was... Uh, um, there was quite a bit of it coming from the north stand as well, kind of the top end towards Leppings Lane and the north stand. Yeah. Probably through the last ten minutes of the game, there was, you know, the, it wasn't particularly that, loud. That's but. probably the only ten minutes where that really caught hold. And, and like you say, that that's good timing for a man who deserves a really positive reception and, and reputation amongst Wednesdayites in the long haul. Because when we do get to the Premiership, sorry, I have to call it the Premier League. I'm still old school. I call it the Premiership. Um, when we get to the EPL, as of my American <laughs> record, um, you know, he's going to be. We'll be standing on his shoulders in one way, shape, or form. Um, both through the learnings and the experience that we've had, through some of the players that he has had a hand in bringing to the club, um, and we've got to be grateful for that. Because there's this chance that Carlos might end up getting to the Premier League much quicker than we do, in terms of the fact that he's very quickly been linked to the um, Swansea job again, which kind of immediately um, that kind of feeling of seeing him kind of you know toying with someone else and. You know, flirting with a so new. What, what uh, would you prefer? Would you prefer to see him a successful Premier League manager with an established club, or taking on another Championship side and getting them through the Premier League? I think to um, to complete the relationship analogy, what I quite like him to do is emigrate abroad and go and manage a club in a country that I've never heard of, have no intention of ever visiting, um, you know, know nothing about, isn't shown on any UK. TV channels, including ESPN. Someone who's um, very shy of social media, just doesn't publish anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and just, you know, let him kind of go and get on with his life a long, long way away. He's got a he's got a close relationship with Turkish football. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe that might be a good place for him. Just somewhere far enough away so that we you don't feel the pain of him being successful. Yeah, I just you know I just don't want to bump into him. You know that's the that's the thing. I, I don't want to see him with his new love. Well, the good news is Swansea's a long bloody way away, and I can promise you it's like a three and a half hour train ride from London. So you've got very few ex- excuses for going there if that's where he winds up. But funnily enough, I, I think I think Carlos could do a job for a year in the Premier League. I think, you know, in a new club with his philosophy, I think that possession-based football works in the Premier League. It might not be pretty. I know Fudge isn't here today, but I know he would uh, he'd be the first person to poke holes in Stoke, West Brom, whomever else, you know, yeah. kind of play that, that sort of by-the-numbers game. Um, but it, it could have impact in a club coming in fresh and probably with a higher calibre of player than... Uh, with apologies to Evan, our co-host and our America's Liam Palmer uh, being one of your, uh, your dependencies for that possession-based game. So, you know, Palmer or Palmer? I don't really care. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think he's quite that type of player. Whereas, as a as a kind of you know direct fullback, charging forward, putting the pressure on, getting back and scrapping, he's he's got some calibre in that department. So, yeah, Dif- different players, different circumstances. I wish him well. I hope he. I hope he has great success in a country where we never see or hear of what that success is. Absolutely, I'll uh, I'll subscribe to that. Um, now, of course, we've got a heck of a lot of names that are doing the rounds in terms of 
who could be our new manager. Um, and I'm going to suggest that we uh, we hang on to those and we run through through those at, at, at the end. And um, you know, we can pretty much talk about every name that's kind of been linked to us, really, and there've been plenty of them. Um, but you know, in keeping with kind of the, the chronological timeline of the um, Christmas period, the four days. Let's uh, yeah, the four the four days. Well, the three days if we take Christmas. We're, only, we're, we're not even so. up to Christmas Day yet. Oh, <laughs> we're still on Christmas Eve. Christmas, um, yeah, he's yeah, not been Day. yet. Um, Christmas Day was I mean nothing really happened it was a bit of a non-event in in, the in your life world, as it should be that's all um, yeah how was your Christmas did you have a good Christmas yeah it was wonderful it was all small children and like you know basically unwrapping presents from 6am to 6pm it was uh, it was great I don't think Wednesday featured apart from when a Wednesday bobble hat popped out of one of my presents so, ah, absolutely which I may I or may not say, have were there, any, were there any Wednesday related um, only the bobble presentation only the bobble, bobble. Yeah. alright Unfortunately, I'm kind of one of those people who buys presents for themselves early, rather than letting people buy them for me. So, uh, right. so the shirt had already been purchased, the, uh, right. the bobble had already been purchased and worn, but it was re-wrapped and then re-gifted. So. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, which ultimately, of course, brings us to Boxing Day um, yesterday. And what an interesting day. So um, it kind of, you know, I, I went to the game yesterday in, um, in in Nottingham. I love, I do love Boxing Day. What I hate about Boxing Day is there's no trains. There's never trains on um, on Boxing Day. Um, so um, you know, thank you to my mate Kieran who kind of volunteered to be designated driver for um, for the day. I was saying to you before we started recording, I don't feel like I've had a full away day experience when travelling by car and I don't know why, I'm not sure what it is about it, but if I'm not travelling somewhere by train, I just feel like I've been a little bit shortchanged. It was strange, kind of, you know, parking up outside the pub and just walking in rather than having to, you know, navigate across say across Nottingham, I mean it's only a five minute walk, but um, you know, not arriving into a train station somewhere. It always feels weird. I don't, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Did that not allow for like more intense speculation about how Bullen was going to transform the team? You know, the formation he was going to yeah. set, the players he I was mean, going to set in the car on the way down. There was some good. There was some good chats in in the car on the way um, on the way down. And what I loved about it for the first time in a long, long time, it really was a blank page. Like we really didn't know what direction that day was going to go in. You know, would Bullen, who's been around the club for a long time, um, and you would think, you know, he's been probably the major influencer over Carlos during his time as um, as manager does that mean that he's ultimately going to stick with more or less a similar sort of game plan or is he going to hear what fans have been saying and go for a much more kind of attack minded formation um, is he going to view this as his chance to maybe stake his claim on the on the job on a permanent basis is he going to try and really put his stamp on on this lineup and um, you know it was genuinely enjoyable to talk about the way that the, the, the game and the day was going to pan out with no idea at all as to um, you know where, what, what we were going to be thinking come two o'clock when the team comes out three o'clock when the game kicks off and five o'clock when it's all done and dusted because we've kind of felt like we've been stuck in some kind of sort of time warp haven't we it's, you know, it's been kind of you know kind of history repeating itself it's been Groundhog Day in terms of lineup. It might surprise us, but ultimately, it's just the same. It's the same churn. It's the same. Actually, thing. That's where that, that statement of you know he's been like the major influence on Carlos. I think we've got to call that into question now because yeah. I, 
the evidence would suggest, at least based on what happened yesterday, that actually no one's been a great influence on Carlos. Carlos is the only influence on Carlos. Maybe, maybe. Um, because I've got to say, when the team came out and the personnel itself wasn't dramatically different, um, you know, okay, a couple of recalls, um, statement of intent by having Hooper and Joao and, and Rhodes on the pitch. But I was fully expecting us to set up in that same sort of, you know, diamond based 4 4 2 we play in away games and that, you know, probably has the same kind of game plan behind it that, that Carlos executes but I, I was definitely I was definitely wrong when I said it wasn't going to be a pure 4-3-3 because the way we played and the way that the players were set up and the way that they executed was quite different to anything we saw under Carlos certainly over the last 18 months I am um, exactly the same to be honest I, I, I looked at the team as it was kind of tweeted out by I think I, I assume it was David Garrido's tweet that I saw first so you look at the team where it's literally just names next to each other and try and piece that together into, and again, it, it looked like it was going to be a, you know, maybe a four-three-one-two or a four-four-two diamond. Uh, and then you sort of think this means that our central midfield is basically Sam Hutchinson. That's it. That is our central midfield. You know, possibly the, the the player in the championship with the worst fitness record is our central midfield against, you know, certainly not a bad championship side in, in with the only in, central midfielder on the bench actually to be fair to David Jones with the only two de- central midfielders on the bench being David Jones and Alman Abdi who has actually the actual worst central midfield yeah. fitness record <laughs> in the championship absolutely true absolutely true um, now the first sort of hint that I got that maybe that wasn't quite going to be how it, it panned out is uh, you get the tiniest little hint when the club tweet out the team news they, they bunch players together yeah. in terms of like a hint at formation now I don't know whether or not that's done by some kind of you know um, YTS work experience social media coordinator you know, maybe on an apprenticeship um, who hazards a bit of a guess at it or whether there's actually something in that um, but it was my mate John that said no no look it, it's it's showing it as a 4-3-3 and I'm like well I'm not going to take that as we, we had exactly the same thing going on and I was the cynic sitting there going you're trying to speculate on what the formation we're going to play on the pitch is based on how it's been tweeted out <laughs> on social media don't we shuffling ridiculous yeah. and lo and behold it was you know Lee Bullen was in a, in a master stroke of communication he rang up the communication department he got hold of uh, your YTS tra- trainee up at Hillsborough and said just just put a little bit of spacing in between yeah, Joao, yeah. Hooper and Rose will you just just let everybody knows that something different's going on um, I mean we, we, during the, we'd had a few beers um, as I seem to say during every podcast when reflecting on a, a football match um, but we, we were speculating during the game itself trying to figure out exactly what that formation was because it wasn't um, an obvious formation. You know, we'd got kind of two wide players on the pitch in, in Wallace and in Reach. Um, but, um, you know, certainly during the, the majority of the first half, it felt like they were both playing on the left wing. Um, you know, at, at times it was really difficult to fit. We were speculating that it was a 4 1 2 1 2 and a 4 1 2 1 1 1. Um, and we ran through all kinds of things. You know, it wasn't a clear set formation it felt like what Lee Bullen had done is pick a team that he thought would work and say so do you know what go out there and do what you can do Reach had a lot more freedom Wallace had a lot more freedom to come inside we've not seen that for a while with um, with, with Wallace to, to come inside or to stay wide because I mean what I saw was Wallace actually hugging the touchline more than I've seen him doing quite a long time I, I mean do com, times, come I... inside but on his natural left foot as yeah. opposed to coming in on the right on his left foot I think, I think we saw both Reach and Wallace playing at times very central and then at times very 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 wide and both of them seem to thrive on it I mean Reach I I would say that I think it's his best game that I've seen him play in a Wednesday shirt on the basis of the fact that 
Um, one of the things that, that Reach gets accused of quite a lot is being you know, a little bit soft. You know, if it's a, a 50-50 ball, he's always beaten to it. He seemed to find an extra yard of pace to chase down everything. He was running after everything. He wasn't scared to run at people, and he was beating people, and he was getting balls into the box. So, so, so let me um, test the theory on you right now, because Adam Reach is literally my acid test of the Carlos theory. So I want, I want you to take you back to a Friday night in Wigan in, I don't know if it was February or March of this year. Yeah, I remember it well. Yeah. Was it John Rhodes' debut, I think? Uh... Yeah, anyway, I think it was. We didn't expect him to. Um, one nil win that we ground out there in in the pure Carlos season two style, and and Wallace scored actually. And Adam Reach was getting castigated for not crossing the halfway line. Every time we were out of possession, he was dropping back. He was kind of you know he was playing left back I think that game, and he you know he wouldn't go past the halfway line. And you got a real sense of a player who was being overmanaged in terms of the tactics he was expected to execute. Roll forward to yesterday, and you saw a player who, with that little hint of what he did against Middlesbrough, when he when he got half a yard of opportunity, when he saw a pass, when he when he you know could see a, a, a misplaced ball on the far side, and he was going to chase it down, he just seemed to kind of feel liberated to go after that. And that, that to me is kind of you know your per- perfect litmus test of a player who isn't playing to such a rigid game plan that he's neutralised. Yeah, um, and I think we saw the benefit of that. Absolutely. I mean, it was um, he was. I'm not going to say he was a different player, but he his his approach to that game was a way that I've not seen him play before, and it was brilliant to to see. Um, and I mean, it's quite difficult to kind of pinpoint the exact circumstance as to why that was. Was it the instruction that he'd been given from Lee Bullen? Was it the freedom that had been given by Lee Bullen? Was it actually just the fact that um, Carlos had gone? You know, was it the influence of other players around him? Um, was it, I mean, the effect that Sam Hutchinson being back in the team and being fit um, had on Saturday is quite difficult to kind of put that into context around everything else because he does change the team when he's in that role. Um, you know, it did feel like a much more solid and complete defensive performance on, um, I was going to say on Saturday, um, on Tuesday. Um, as a result, it wasn't solid and complete the, on Saturday, I can promise the, you. That. It certainly wasn't, certainly wasn't. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint why, but I tell you what, it was brilliant to see. And the same with you know Joao. I mean, uh, we, we've, there's been times this season. I, I said this last week talking to um, Lord Hillsborough. There's been times where we've seen little flashes of Joao being, you know, that kind of that young brilliance that that he's that he's got, kind of coming on against Sheffield United, being um, to be fair, probably the one example of it this season. Um, but you know, every so often you see a little hint of it, and you see something there. Um, and yet, you know, when he's been given a chance, particularly from the start, you kind of feel like, is he just not going to be a thing? You know, I, I, have we been led up the garden pathways as well? And he's actually just bang average. Um, and yet, the way that he played yesterday against Forest was, um, it was exciting. It was fresh. Uh, again, he's someone that found an extra yard of, of pace. He wasn't scared to, to go wide. He wasn't scared to come inside. He wasn't scared to, to, to have a, a, a pop when he got sight of goal. Um, and he looked like a player that had suddenly just found this, not just not just steps up like you know one level of confidence, but he'd gone up six or seven levels in, in confidence. Um, and he was he was genuinely exciting. And, and you combine that with Reach also playing in a way that's quite exciting. Wallace seeming to kind of come back into form in an instant I, and um, to say come back into form he was so else off form against Middlesbrough that, yeah. you know, that 
we both watch football fairly, fairly routinely and regularly. Players don't gain form over the course of 48 hours. You know, that's that's built up over confidence and over fitness and everything else. For him to to play two games so differently as he did against Middlesbrough and against Forest has to suggest there is something in what he's being asked to do. Um, and I, I think Zhao's your, your perfect example as well. He's he's quite a simple player when it comes to it. He's got raw pace, he's got power, and he he's willing to try pretty much anything in pursuit of trying to just drive the ball toward the goal. Um, when you ask him to play a tactical game and play sideways, then you see those feet kind of you know starting to lose control. And, and a lot of the things he gets came into criticism for certainly through the kind of the, the first part of this season has been when he's been losing the ball yep. somewhere just around the halfway line, which is by rights where he should know he should be nowhere near the ball. There. Yeah. He should be picking the ball up in the final third, running at defenders and. I mean, there were so many good things to enjoy about yesterday. There's a couple of negatives. I mean, we've got to, we've got to be careful we don't get carried away because Forest were pretty woeful yep, uh, in defence. They could have scored a couple of goals when we were 1-0 up and, and our defence has got a lot to answer for there. But let's take all the positives and stay on the positive. The, the third goal we scored yesterday, where Reach picked the ball up before halfway, again drove down the left, released the ball in front of Joao, and then Gerard ran onto it, took it into the into the box, literally kind of one quick cheeky step over and then walloped in the bottom corner. That is a goal I've not seen Wednesday score in about three years. Yeah. And I've been raging about the fact that we, we just don't score the simple goals. We don't put the ball in front of a striker who runs onto it and puts it in the bottom of the net. And you kind of you had a sense of players who were, were literally liberated to go and do that, which was it was kind of just a joy to behold, right? And I think that's it's what we've all been waiting to see. We know these players can do it. But for me, the kind of the phrase to kind of sum up yesterday was, it was like you know shackles removed. It felt like players that a weight had been lifted off their backs and they thrived on it. And um, you're absolutely right in terms of the fact that we can't get carried away. And if we go out and try and play like that every game this season, we'll lose more of them than we um, than we win. Because a half decent team, which which to be fair, Forest weren't yesterday. They were poor. A half decent team would probably find us out quite quickly. Um, and we'd, we'd have to find a different way of, um, of getting something out of it but yesterday was what we needed and it was what they needed it wasn't, it, I think it, it, it proved the players proved something to themselves as much as they proved to everyone else and they proved to themselves you know we've, we've been saying for a while this squad is surely good enough you know we've got the players and you know we had whatever it was eight or nine first teamers out injured yesterday we lost two uh, during the course of the game as well yep. uh, important players um, and you know we were playing a makeshift midfield we were playing a makeshift defence we got our backup goalkeeper in the uh, in the net and, and, we, and we we've cruised, got to talk about Wildsmith and by we cruised way, to a 3 no win well I mean Wildsmith um, he um, I got into an argument with a Forest fan on on Twitter last night who says that we were lucky uh, because our keeper pulled off some worldlies and I made the point well that's what a goalkeeper's paid to do that's a bit like you know, you know uh, quite well the, the point being there but um, yeah I mean he was he was brilliant like th- there was just as much chance that we could go in 3-1 down at half time than we go in 2-0 up at half time because Wildsmith pulled off some spectacular saves because we had a melting ice cream back four I mean you know this is the one thing we can't overlook which is the same against Middlesbrough right our vulnerability to that diagonal through ball is, is frightening you know better teams uh, with more clinical finishes are going to pick us off yep. and that's that's the thing we've got to keep in mind but uh, yeah he was tremendous I mean those I think three or possibly four saves first half um, I was just so pleased for him to have that game you know after he actually did pretty well I thought against Middlesbrough I don't think you can probably fault him for the second goal first goal 
questions have got to be asked about what, what went on there. Is, but it had come so quickly after he saved the penalty that you know you were kind of you were in two minds about well, can we can we lay criticism at a guy who's just stopped a penalty and kept it in the lead? Yeah, yeah. Um, to have a game like he did yesterday was, was tremendous for his confidence. Um, I mean, you know, in, in typical kind of binary Wednesday fashion, our fans are now debating whether or not you know Kieran Westwood needs to compete for his place back when he uh, when he gets back to fitness. So I think we we've got to like be a little bit careful here about you know what we, what we talk about when seniority of goalkeeping because Westwood's experience and his yeah yeah his reliability I think just stands one step above where was well Westmouth is but he he was great yesterday and again just you know there were just so many good things to take out of the game and so many reasons now to look look forward with a little bit of positivity and optimism to the rest of the season um, not getting carried away not really interpreting it as anything other than we're probably going to be a mid-table side and we've got to consolidate as a mid-table side but the question is how do we set ourselves up now for the season in 2018-19 that finally gets us over the line you know, how do we make next season the season this season should have been who's the right person to, to see us there who's the right the right composition of players who do we need to slowly move out in January complete the process in the summer we can start on that now and that, that's just that's the weight that's been lifted on us and I think off the players as well you know, we, can, we can start to look forward again with confidence it was um, it was a really necessary win, as as we've said for various reasons. Um, if 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 not for the fact that actually you know we'd a couple more defeats and we'd be genuinely looking over our shoulders. Like you know, it, it's I I think this season's a write off. I've got to be honest. I don't I don't think the few people yesterday talking about whether or not we can make a push for the playoffs. Personally, I think forget that. This is now about as you say rebuilding and and getting things right for for next season. However, we've got to be wary of the fact that what we don't want this season to turn into is a real disaster where we end up you know, being dragged into something that we don't want to get dragged into and that means picking up points it, it, it means picking up points in the next month to two months um, if you look at what happened to Birmingham last season where they got dragged and dragged and dragged into it through the chaos they I mean, it was self-inflicted by the way they got rid of Zola but you know, that's dragged on into this season as well and they're, they're no nearer being a coherent club and having a structure to come back despite their resources and you know, the history that's there we can't afford to have that relegation fight so that, that was why it was so necessary that Chancery made the, the intervention that he did um, whether it was his choice whether it was forced on him I'm actually agnostic about that this is the right thing for Sheffield Wednesday football club yep. um, and we need to have we need to have five healthy months now where we get ourselves set for next season I mean I think we're 11-12 points off the playoffs it would be almost unprecedented historically if we make that ground up um, we have made up that type of gap on the team that's in sixth place at the moment so we shouldn't write anything thing off um, but if we if we start focusing on that goal then we're getting well ahead of ourselves yeah we, we've got some things to like like someone who's been suffering from a, you know an illness that's kind of been dragging on but they, they have a hope of getting better we've got to get ourselves healthy and then we can work out what we can do next in the car on the way back from um, Forest listening trying to listen to um, Radio Sheffield Fraser Grumble which as you can imagine in the centre of Nottingham was a little patchy um, but there were quite a few people that were kind of saying oh maybe you know Liebel until the end of the season could be the uh, could be the answer, and you kind of give yourself that sort of pinch whereby you say, "Yeah, we've won three 0 at Forest today. There is now, you know, this is Sheffield Wednesday. We know how this place works. There is much chance now that we go to Brentford on Saturday and get absolutely walloped, yep. and that brings us right back down." And they got a great result last night. They beat Villa two uh, one, yeah. I think. And um, yeah. I think I tweeted something out. They, they won some like is it seven of the last eleven home games or something like that. Um, impressive form. Yeah, I, just just to go back to Bully for a second, I, I've got a comment on his post match interview because you know I mean we know this guy inside out back to front because of his history of the club but the, the way he talked in that interview was like pretty much I think any Wednesday fan who'd been given charge of the club for one day would have would have talked it was basically like 
Yeah, I basically said I told them to uh, to stop stop faffing around. You know, don't don't overplay in the first half. Told Wallace just to get out to the wing, stick some balls in the box for Jordan Rhodes, and uh, and we loaded up the game and uh, and pressed them on it. Yeah. And it. There was nothing complicated about what he did. He just he he told them to go out there, play with free abandon, to to be the players that they are. And that, that turns out to be quite a good recipe with this squad. Whether that's sustainable over you know the rest of the 18-19 games that we've got left this season, I I, I question. Yep. Um, but I'm, I'm again, I'm not looking at it as a promotion charge. So I'm I'm content if we end up in eighth, ninth, and we've got an upward trajectory going into next season, coming back to that Brian Menager sort of um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Bully and maybe his um, his his claim on the on the job permanent or whatever in um, in a moment. But what I would say is. Um, at the end of the game, I always kind of have a weird kind of like um, raw emotional thing going on when your when your team wins. And at the end of the game, uh, obviously we stay back to applaud the, the the team. And as ever, you know Lee Bullen is kind of as his players one by one go off, he's giving them a hug and stuff, which means he's the last person to come over to the crowd. I'm not going to lie, like I had a bit of a tear in my eye because the raw emotion in that guy, you know, he was punching the air and you know he he really gave a shit. He wanted that win as much as any fan in that ground wanted that win you know you could tell he really he really wanted that and I had it a few times um, a few times under Carlos I remember the Ipswich away game um, where we secured playoffs last season uh, where you got that kind of rare outpouring of emotion from Carlos which he wouldn't normally kind of give away but he used to get quite a bit from Stuart Gray you know Stuart Gray would go over and punch the air in front of the fans and stuff and that was always like yes go on Stuart always got me going um, and it's been a while since I've kind of felt that and got that yesterday from um, from Lee Bullen and that was great like that's been missing that was genuine proper emotion like he he really gave a shit yesterday he, he get, I mean he, he's, he's been around long enough that despite the fact that he's Scottish he's definitely got some Wednesday DNA in him um, he, he gets the emotional element I mean and, and again you know we, we can make this a reflection on Carlos we can talk about the future you can go either way Carlos kept that under wraps deliberately almost almost emotionless that win, lose or draw he could he could analyse the game and tell you what he felt went wrong and what went right um, and a lot of that is class you know he didn't lose his head when yep. others were losing yep. theirs and, and that, there's a lot to be applauded about that but that has a limit in terms of how it connects with fans and as, as a fan base but certainly as the fans that are attending games we need that emotional drive as well you need to feel that the person in charge understands what it's like to stand on the terraces to to commit so much of your personal time and resources to the, the future of this club that constantly disappoints. So, yeah, that, that little tear you had in your eye, that's I mean that, that's what a lot of Wednesday fans were feeling yesterday before and after the game, and it goes a long way. It was, uh, it, it was really, really exciting to see, and, and as I said, I think Bullen kind of spoke for every fan about what we wanted to happen yesterday. Um, the real question, the question for Wednesday, is how, how do you bottle that? How do you, how do you take that passion, that excitement, that Brighton first leg at Hillsborough, that yeah. Wembley emotion, and how do you turn that in day in day out so yeah. that's part of the Wednesday experience? You know that no matter who the manager is, they have to buy into that, they have to live that. You know, it's, it's, it's a great biggest challenge actually posing our club is, is how do we make that the thing that makes us tick and that defines who we are and that defines how we play football and how we show up regardless of results. Yeah. Of course, I mean, I've, I've been one of the people kind of at, at, at pins to, um, you know, try and avoid the, the kind of the parallels with our friends across the city this season. And I think, you know, a, lo- a lot of the reason why Wednesday fans have, been, have got themselves in a this season has been actually, you know, direct, uh, uh, in direct parallel to, you know, the success of how uh, United have been 
going on. Um, but it's it's kind of about you know the work, what, what Chris Wilder's done there in terms of the fact even when he you know even when United lose a game, he's still got the the fans. It's still you know a complete fan base. You know that everyone is together there. Um, that's kind of what we've been missing, isn't it? You know the the, 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 the fraction between our fan base over the last few weeks has been um, horrible, like uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's been, not been a nice been, place to be around. It's been part of being a feuding family. I mean, it's all the process of learning, isn't it? I mean, you know, one of the reasons why you know we've been so sex- successful, I think, in the US and getting people to kind of bond around Wednesday is because of the, some of the positive experiences we had two years ago, whether it be Wembley or the run-up to, and, and even last season. It's been hard to keep that going over the last couple of months while we've been fighting amongst ourselves. And pretty wilder, those are the, the other side of the city. They know what that feels like. You know, yeah. we, we were poking fun at them 24 months ago when they were posting videos during the Atkins era, and you know they were on the play to coast and all that nonsense. It, it, it's a fickle thing in Sheffield, but if you can break the, the kind of cyclical nature of it, if you can find a way to make that sustainable. Um, Wednesday can it's kind of unlimitless where this club can go and I think that the combination is somewhere between what Carlos does in terms of instilling real scientific and, and kind of you know structured thought about how we go about football with passion with emotion and with with the type of character the players showed yesterday you know if you see that on the pitch the fans respond there's no question which brings us quite conveniently into um, discussion about exactly where we do go from here then um, and who the right person is to lead Sheffield Wednesday forward um, and I'm going to do these in the order that they were uh, ranked by Skybet in terms of the odds as of a couple of hours ago um, so to run through then the names that have been um, that have been mentioned and, and, and the guy that is currently favourite which is uh, not dissimilar to what happened um, you know, two and a half years ago when Carlos Cavalial suddenly his name came out of nowhere to become favourite to, to get the job and ultimately did get the um, get the job the name of uh, Paolo Fonseca which I think is a brilliant brilliant name um, he was someone that was probably unknown to 99.9% of the Sheffield Wednesday fan base as of 10am on Sunday morning um, by Sunday afternoon he's a name that suddenly a lot of fans are, um, are talking about and, um, and looking up on the internet um, he's a guy that was previously linked with the uh, job at Everton and has been linked with other uh, really like high profile teams, has been linked with PSG in the past and all kinds of different stuff, there's a lot of parallels with the uh, Watford manager whose name I can't remember because I'm hungover um, but um, I'm sure you'll tell me. No. Marco Silva. Marco Silva, yes. Yeah. Who was previously um, the boss at Hull, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you yeah, very similar yeah. sort of um, in terms of how he's thought of, very, very similar to that. Um, what's your take on this? What do you think? Well, like, it sounds good on face value. I've got to be honest, I, I haven't spent a lot of time studying Paolo Fonseca's uh, manager record. Um, it's a good than, name, though, isn't it? It's, Paolo, it's a great name. Paolo I mean, Fonseca. You know, the, the, like, the obvious, in so many good the, the obvious well. logic is there. If he's uh, if he's a Portuguese kind of high-caliber manager who's uh, who's got a bit of the suave and panache of Carlos, with maybe a bit more. Um, bit more of what we've just been describing in terms of the kind of the blood and thunder emotion and that could be great he, he's done phenomenally well I think with Shakhtar Donetsk this season yes. um, qualifying them out of the group stages in the Champions League which takes some doing and, and that's a club that's been in real disarray um, because of the political situation over in the Ukraine um, yeah, I think he, he had some, some good seasons in Portugal I think culminating it, it might have been in Porto um, yep. so 
I mean, you know, clearly has a great reputation, and you get the sense that Wednesday would be punching significantly above their weight there. You know, if you can imagine a, a manager coming out of the Champions League, qualif- uh, sorry, knockout rounds to come and manage at Hillsborough, that that would be something pretty phenomenal. Um, the fact that he's gone so short in the odds tells you there has to be something in it. There's got to be some connections to the advisory network that Chancery has. Um, well, there is a, a clear connection in terms of that. He's represented by Doyen, who uh, you know, exactly. Whether that comes to pass, your guess is as good as mine. Um, but it's nice to see Wednesday getting excited about it and being linked with a name like that. I mean, that's that that would be a phenomenal appointment. You, you get the sense that might be an end of the season thing, sort of thing that would be announced. You know, a la uh, Chelsea and their recent managerial yeah, yeah. changes. You know, he'd take over on June first uh, with somebody building toward that. I can't see him separating mid-season to come and uh, help us into that. For me, two um, two. Uh, would I say concerns um, probably uh, one being just whether how realistic it is you know you talk about someone that's currently managing a team in the Champions League um, you know is the lure of Hillsborough that, that that strong so I just don't know how realistic it is although that said you know I had no idea who he was as of 48 hours ago so why not um, and the other one just being whether or not is there just a risk that he's just kind of Carlos Mark too you know, we've, we've kind of called for something a little bit different. It's quite—I I found it quite interesting looking back on when Carlos came in, because of course the plan originally was that Carlos wasn't going to be head coach; he was going to be director of football, uh, and we were going to have a British coach who was going to be, um, you know, looking after the day-to-day affairs of the um, of the team. That didn't happen, um, and therefore, you know, ultimately Carlos did end up being head coach, and um, there, was, there must have been a reason why. That was, you know, the the kind of the chairman's preference at the time to to have kind of someone who was, you know, a little more um, used to the rough and tumble of the EFL. I wonder if it was the chairman's preference or that was the advice that he was being given by those who've been in English football for longer. Um, you know, the uh, the kind of the fabled football uh, advisory committee that was in place at the time. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I think it's a bit rough on any managerial candidate just to judge them on similarity based on nationality. So, you know, Fonseca may be like Carlos. He could be very different. I don't know the way he plays. I don't know his style. Actually, borderline xenophobic, to be fair, isn't it? Uh, only, only mildly, but I think both both of our countries have got... Um, well, both of our countries. Both the countries we live in have got a little bit of uh, a form there, let's say that. Um, but, you know... I'm, I'm willing to follow on from someone of the Carlos mould as long as they're more adaptable. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, to yeah. be fair, any, any manager that can succeed at the level of, of Champions League has to be more adaptable than somebody who's kicking around the Championship. So I would rather go there than necessarily a young up-and-coming manager at Shrewsbury. But Chris Wilder is the, the archetypal kind of uh, example of why that might not be the case. Okay. I, have a, um, I have a bit of an inkling that we, at the end of this, when we have to pick out who our preference is, that we're probably going to have a disagreement on the basis of what you just said but we'll, we'll revisit that um, right second favourite and I hope that we'll probably share opinion on this one second favourite at the moment is Paul Lambert I am completely and utterly disinterested in Paul Lambert I quite actively dislike Paul Lambert not the best of anything to do with his footballing achievements but I find him the most boring man in the world of football like he he can speak and it sends me to sleep I mean, you could actually package Paul Lambert as some kind of... It would be useful for you when you've got young kids that refuse to go to sleep. Paul Lambert's voice, that will sort it out. I, I'm sorry, James. I, I, I didn't hear anything you were just saying because I fell asleep. <laughs> I, I, you, I, when you started talking, I put my face literally in my hands and then after that, everything you said was just like monotone. 
Yeah, uh, Paul Lambert's Paul Lambert, football is monotone, his style is monotone. I mean, I follow Norwich quite closely. I think they're an interesting club in terms of some of the dynamics they've been through. Their fans really did not part well with him. Yep. Um, Villa, you know, this guy has proved that he's a bang average manager in the, in yeah. the Championship. I, I see no no benefit in Wednesday going there. I, I would I would sum him up as uninspiring. Yeah, would be my, um, my 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 phrase. He's not the only one on the list that I'm going to use that phrase to to describe. Um, third third favourite at the moment is Lee Bullen. Probably no surprise off the back of um, mm-hmm. us, us winning three 0 at Forest yesterday. Um, I, I guess probably the more likely scenario with Bullen could be that he gets the job until the end of the season. Yeah, and I think, you know, if at all. maybe I've kind of stated my claim by saying I don't know how sustainable his his tenure would be over the course of the rest of the season, but if he can grind out two or three more results before a decision has to be made, then he may well make that decision very easy. Um, and if this is a consolidation season, which I think it is, um, then he could, he could be the right man. If he can prove me a little bit wrong in terms of his ability to lift the whole squad and carry the squad tactically yeah. with the right advisors around him, and I think you know he's clearly leaning heavily on Andy Rhodes and I think Neil Thompson from the academy at the moment, yeah. then yeah, there's not going to be many Wednesdayites who wouldn't wish him well and get behind him for the, the remainder of the season. So, I mean, he would be a very safe bet as long as there was somebody lined up beyond that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, um, I, I, th- I think when we, we spoke on... Uh, WhatsApp just before the Forest game uh, and kind of talks about whether we expected much difference under Bullen um, and I said, I said the same to a few people which is it's a little bit like when Stuart Gray took over when David Jones was sacked um, and you kind of think well it can't be that much different because the fact that you know he was there through it all uh, and yet obviously you know it works out really well with Stuart Gray I still have a lot of time for him and I think that his if there was some way of actually being able to kind of rank managers on achievement versus budget that Stuart Gray would probably be our most successful manager of all time in terms of what he actually achieved with what he got speaking um, as a strategist it's a two axis matrix so it's actually pretty easy to do you just look at win percentage on one axis and you look at the amount of money they spent on the other that would be a really interesting analysis anyway yeah, yeah. I'll take that offline I, I and we'll get a Twitter yeah, you, uh, that's your task for the uh, that's your homework that's for, the, homework uh, for the, week. the weekend my worry with Bullen is just if, if, he, if he got the job on any kind of permanent basis there's that, there's, there's that risk of it turning sour and I think you know Bullen is a Sheffield Wednesday club legend possible exception of his last season playing for the club where he wasn't great you know other than that I mean he, he's a guy that's barely really put a foot wrong and um, he has now got the complete set of all positions bar permanent manager yep. you know now he's got caretaker manager in the mix as well uh, and obviously groundsman uh, already under his yep. belt well we don't know we don't know about groundsman I mean he might yeah well, no, I think he did, he did it half time he was kind of out there with a the fork I share the same concern but I think if you gave it interim to the end of the season I don't think there's much danger in that respect permanent beyond that that might be a bit different I feel like now's probably the appropriate time to point out that we uh, are, I'm sure people have worked out that we are recording this in a pub uh, and it is the what the Wednesday after Christmas and um, as, as the afternoon's gone on it's got particularly rowdier in the background as more people have, uh, have, have, have kind of come in so we're in the beer house on Ecclesall Road which I have to point out is, is uh, owned by a guy called John Harrison who is a big Wednesday fan he's also quite closely involved with the Wednesday Cricket Club as well um, and um, yeah I mean many thanks to him for um, the uh, nice allowing us to um, yeah, drink his beer and, um, and, and use his facility the, the, the beer's awesome. I like the flood evacuation plan in the toilets out back. And um, yeah, for, for full atmospheric effect, someone's just opened a bag of uh, what I can only see my roast beef crisps to the left. So I'm getting there we go. There we go. Well, welcome back to the UK, James. This is what you chips, do. chips, 
chips. So, um, right, other names then. So um, this was perhaps inevitable. Gary Monk. Um, I mean, that would be the ultimate irony, wouldn't it be? Like, you know, Wednesday lose to Middlesbrough, Gary Monk gets sacked afterwards and then gets the Wednesday job. I mean, that would, you know, complete some kind of... That's like an episode of, of EastEnders in, in terms of the twists and turns in that in that scenario. Again, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to see the precedent for it. Um, the funny thing is, if you'd offered me Gary Monk this time six months ago, I'd probably have said yes. Um, I, there, is, I would... there is a theory, isn't there, that he his success at Leeds was actually on the basis of one of the coaches that he got working with him who is now manager of Oxford or something and that he was pulling I've got to be honest I pay very little attention to what goes on at Leeds so I try to ignore it as much as possible but you know what he achieved there I thought and the way that he had them playing I I liked I mean the way they faded at the back end last season they didn't have that that finishing power was was concerning Um, you know in the cold light of day if you look at the way Middlesbrough made their decision what they've ultimately decided and I think it was preordained before they before they played Wednesday otherwise it's hard to explain how they would decide to sack a winning manager you know, I think Poulos was probably already lined up they'd obviously come to the conclusion that Gary Monk was not a manager who was likely to get a team promoted out of the championship even with the resources that Middlesbrough got so I would worry about a decision that said well let's bring him to Hillsborough with less resources yep. um, with a team that needs more work um, and hope that he's going to capitalise us into that, that time. because the decision now is not about this season the decision is about who's going to take us on the winning art next season that we've all come to expect so jury's out on Gary Monk for me I'm, um, I'm not he, he's not the person that I would be choosing I, I, I'd support him okay. but he's, he's not high on my priority list on the subject of uh, managers then with uh, experience of taking teams out of the championship and into the Premier League this brings us to uh, one of probably two names on this list that are most likely to divide our fan base and that is Nigel Pearson uh, who has been there and done it he's, uh, he's got Leicester promoted from the Championship to the Premier League and let's not forget it was essentially his team that then went on to win, win. the Premier League um, Sheffield Wednesday legend there is no two ways about that he still lives in the um, city although I, I believe he's working abroad at the moment managing Holland. a team somewhere or other yeah. um, for me I, I want to just rule it out here and now. I don't think it's the answer. I think that we've 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 kind of done this thing before where we've toyed with ex-players uh, coming back and, and managing the club. And um, you know, I'm happy with my memories of Nigel Pearson lifting the League Cup in 1991. And I, I, I want his connection with Sheffield Wednesday to just stay there. That for me is that's it. They're, they're the memories that I want of him. I, 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 that doesn't need to alter. To be honest, the most bizarre memory I have of Nigel Pearson is I once saw him in home base on Chesterfield Road wearing a pair of grey sweatpants and he had a very large <laughs> ass. Um, and, and he also lifted the League Cup at Wembley. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think your point about we've been there, done that as a, as a club is, is really important. You know, we've, we've tried the ex-player as manager route. We've tried the successful manager at one of our local rivals route and, and it hasn't got us to where we want to be. So why jeopardise that history with Pearson? I, I think he's... I think he's wisely wary of that, from what I understand. You know, he's, he's almost gone as far as to rule out managing Wednesday because of yeah. his history with the club. Not to mention the fact that you know he has a little bit of complications with uh, with tie ownership uh, from his time or the end of his time at Leicester. Um, and again, from what I understand, the connections between the owners of Leicester, obviously the Chancery family. 
it, it's a stretch that I don't necessarily see as closing. Yeah, we, we were having this conversation in the car on the way back from Forest and saying that um, uh, you know a, a lot of the way that, that business in Thailand works is it's very much about kind of pride and um, uh, and whatnot. And, and I think that um, you know Pearson was probably considered actually not him because of his son was considered to be quite disrespectful um, yeah. to you know Thailand as a as a country. Um, and that's something that's probably not forgotten by um, not, not easily you know, forgotten despite the passion of the Wednesday faithful yeah yeah um, so yeah I think fair to say that's probably unlikely um, next on the list is another former Middlesbrough manager Ita Karanka which uh, I think uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of Carlos going was probably the name that was mentioned the most because of the fact that he's out of work um, he's also a manager that's, that's got previous in terms of getting a team promoted although I would say that he's an underachiever in terms of the fact that that Middlesbrough squad at the time should have absolutely walked to the league and they very very nearly threw it away it, they, they got it with what a, a second half goal against a flagging Brighton team that we then basically showed up as having been at the end of the tether in that season yeah, yeah absolutely um, not the most inspiring manager I mean if, if people don't like Carlos football they're not going to like Karanka football from what no. I saw of that Middlesbrough team you know he he, uh, he certainly isn't going to get on with Jordan Rhodes he won't be putting uh, Ross Wallace on the left and saying just ping the ball at Jordan Rhodes and let's hope that things, uh, no. things happen from there that's not going to happen um, you get the impression as well that um, that the chairman um, wants an inspiring uh, appointment and, and you get the impression that you know he's probably looked at the likes of Karanka another name that's on this list and I'm not even going to bother uh, getting into any depth talking about it Simon Grayson um, a bit lower down Paul Clement they're all appointments that you just think they're not exciting either. They're not. They're not people that you think are going to bring a great brand of, um, of football. There are three managers who are all on ten to one at the moment to get the uh, to get the job, and they are. I mean, vastly different. The one that will divide the fan base more than any, and um, on. I don't know whether or not you caught it on Christmas Eve in the aftermath of Carlos being sacked. Radio Sheffield did an hour long phone in which I, I, I caught most of mainly because I was actually I was involved in it um, so I kind of felt obliged to listen to it but it was really interesting the name that I heard fans mention more than any and I, I was genuinely surprised that so many people would take him um, uh, take him back is, uh, is Gary Mexon you see it's interesting because I'm not surprised to hear it um, I think there's a big segment of the Wednesday fan base that are probably listening to us this that feel that Megson's got unfinished business at Hillsborough um, and, and to an extent, rightly so. I mean, yeah, here's a here's a son of a Wednesday, you know, a Wednesday family who you know bleeds Wednesday through and through. Who his last game in charge, he beat United at Hillsborough. Yeah, set us on the course for promotion, but didn't see us over the line that someone else had brought in to complete that job. I think it's understandable that people want that that passion and the fire that he represents back at Hillsborough. I mean, that's the whole emotional quotient that we've been talking about. Um, if you watched Gary Megson football, and many of us did, through yep. some pretty dark times, hell yeah, um, we would be forsaking all the progress that we've made under Carlos in terms of the, you know, the tactical awareness, and maybe we didn't take it to the level that we needed to, but just the, the level that's expected this league, I, I don't think Gary Megson's there, not not sustainably, not over the level. Um, you know, the way he got West Brom out of this division 10, 15 years ago is not how you get out of the championship yeah, now. Absolutely, and and um. I think one of the reasons why a lot of fans would like to see uh, Megson managing Wednesday again is because of the passion element and because of that element too. which brings us to a name on the list that I find really interesting um, and I get the impression from what you said earlier on that you don't and that is Paul Hurst 
Um, so Paul Hurst never played for Wednesday. Uh, played for Rotherham for many years. Uh, however, he is from Sheffield. He is ultimately is a Wednesday fan. Now, you know, that would suggest that you're going to get that level of, of passion from him that you would expect to get from someone like Megsonoff and maybe like Pearson. Um, I've, n- I've never really told this story before. Um, the strange thing about Paul Hurst is that I actually sort of worked with him for six months. So at the back end of his playing career at Rotherham United, they actually Rotherham United had this sort of scheme whereby uh, they uh, helped players investigate other forms of work that they could go into after finishing football. Uh, and Paul Hurst, at the time it wasn't clear that he was going to go on to be a, a successful football manager, he raised an interest in working in the media. Uh, at the time I was the programme manager of Rother FM, which is Rotherham's local radio station, we had a good relationship with the football club, who said, how would you feel about one of our players coming and doing work experience with you one day a week? Um, so he did. He, he came to work for us for uh, a few hours. Uh, I think it was on Wednesdays every week. Uh, and, and he literally, like, we actually got him, this was very strange, that we sent him out to go and interview his boss, like the manager of Rotherham United. He was our guy that went to the press conferences and did the interviews. And we actually, you know, we sent him out doing other interviews, like he'd go off and you know, meet someone that had been rescued from a house fire and stuff like that. He even, like, did some practice news bulletins. And things. He really threw himself into it. So my, my point here is that I've, I've seen this kind of like a guy that was, you know, as a professional footballer, he was obviously earning more than anyone else was in that in that, you know, that environment, in that radio station. Um, and yet, you know, he really had a go at that and he really wanted to, to, to learn everything and he was very, um, very respectful and, and he earned the respect of everyone in that radio station by the fact that rather than just coming in like, oh, I'm a footballer, I can just do what I want. You know, he, he really had a go at it. Um, now, I, I, what, how you link that to this situation, I don't know, other than the fact that there is obviously a rebuilding to be done at Sheffield Wednesday, right? And, and this is obviously an appointment that we've got to view as being a long-term appointment, someone that's going to be good for the club moving forward and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Paul Hurst is someone that will come in, he will work 24 hours a day if that's what it takes, because he gives a shit. This is the club that he supports. He wants to make a success of this. He will want to do everything that he can to make it work. And he will earn the respect of the players, not because he'll go in and say, you will respect me, because he'll work bloody hard and they will respect him because of how much he puts into it. And that's partly on the basis of what I've seen of him and also partly on the basis of what he's already achieved as a manager, which is actually not a bad record, albeit at a lower league level. Um, there's an element to this as well whereby he could be our Chris Wilder. The parallels are there in terms of, you know, lower down the football pyramid in terms of supporting the, 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 the club. Um, and I'm kind of flying my flag for him a bit. I think I think he could really be he could be the guy. There's a lot there's a lot to be said for that. I mean I mean what a testament first of all to a person. Um, and that gets overlooked so much in this. You know, we we look at names, we look at brands, we look at kind of you know the way people react to to experience. But the role of manager is as much as anything leader inspirer, um, and and that those those roles get conflated. But if the person can't lead and inspire the team in the changing room on the training field, then they might as well just have a coaching staff and not have that point person. So the person that can lead their example is always going to go a long, long way. Um, 
So there's a lot to be said for that. I think your Wilder example is really well made. I've got a friend who's a, a very good uh, Shrewsbury Town fan, and there's a lot of fear down there that that he's coming, you know, just on the simple basis that you know he is he does bleed Sheffield Wednesday through and through. That his yeah. his record would make him a candidate for this. Um, the uh, the noisy people in the pub have just walked out. By the way, so it's, it now suddenly feels like we're talking it, really it now, loud. Now it sort of feels like we're kind of talking to the entire establishment, which is wonderful. The uh, the fire's dimmed down, and James and I are holding court. Um, and to an extent, I'll take that as long as there's a way in which we can maintain the professionalism and the experience that we've started to build up in the club. And the, and the reason why I say that is, it's no disrespect to a Paul Hurst. Um, but he hasn't yet had that experience at the top end of football yep. to know what good really looks like. And if there was some, if there was a clue in the Sam Hutchinson interview that came out just before the Middlesbrough game, which we've not we've not talked about at all on this, course, this yeah. podcast. Yeah. What he was hinting at was he was he was hinting at the fact that the infrastructure at Wednesday is still not up to par. It's not up to par definitely with the Premier League, but it's not up to par with the clubs that have come out with the Premier League. Um, and he was talking about the fact that that takes years to develop. And we, on our podcast, we, we were talking to Sean McCauley a couple of weeks ago, and, and he was talking again very positively about the, the, the journey that Wednesday are on about building that up. That has to be built up by people who've been there and done it. And my worry about being bringing someone in like Paul would be that he hasn't yet been there and done that so if he's, he's got to go there and do it somewhere he has to go there and do point. it somewhere so maybe you blend the two and and I'm again I'm okay as long as that's happening what, what I want to see Wednesday become is a club that's fit for the Premier League with a manager that's fit for Wednesday and if we can combine those two things I think we've got something very exciting going on here's a question and we touched on this earlier on the original plan two and a half years ago to have a director of football and a head coach is that something worth revisiting now is there is there a theory whereby we could bring in someone that's maybe got that experience uh, that could be director of football and someone maybe like Paul Hurst that can come in as head coach that's um, kind of you know, you know sort of like wet behind the ears and all that kind of stuff um, and um, has someone to lean on in terms of football knowledge and, and all the pressure's not necessarily on them. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with something that, um, to, to quote your, one of your, he's not your famous doppelganger because I think we've disputed that uh, kind of alignment of two individuals now, but something Dom Housen was talking about not too long ago, which is the difference between a director of football and a director of sport. So, you know, the way that a lot of football clubs have put a director of football in charge is it's someone who's storied, achieved a lot in the game, sits there almost as a quasi manager and influences what the manager does. That's not what Wednesday did. Wednesday need a sporting director in the the kind of the ilk of uh, Stuart Webber at Huddersfield, now Norwich, who kind of sets the infrastructure correctly, and then a head coach who motivates, inspires, and works with the team day to day. And if you if you get that balance right, that's something very exciting for Wednesday. And I don't know whether that's something they're considering, but a Paul Hurst allied with somebody who's been at the top of the game, who knows how to run the club all the way from the academy all the way through to the first team, set the standards of fitness, physio training you know the kind of the first team support infrastructure that that could be wonderful you sort of I mean I, I can't see it to be honest but I sort of really hope that it's being considered because that you know kind of like just talking about it now I, I start feeling quite excited about that like the opportunity is huge there it's massive um, to get that structure right and I think we've all maybe had stuff to say and, and, and there's been among the fan base there's been quite a lot of people that have had something to say about maybe the way that Chancery set up the structure uh, and a lot of fans that maybe feel that um, you know he does 
take quite a lot of key decisions himself. You know, maybe not having a chief exec is is, is quite you know quite an interesting thing that people have got stuff to say about. You know, having a sporting director in, and then a young hungry head coach that could work really really well. Um, the other the other person that's on um, ten to one is completely different, and that is Slaven Bilic, who I'd love to have, never going to happen. Um, and and they, I mean, there's a lot of names and that are bang average, including um, people I've never heard of. Um, Danny Cowley, no idea who he is. Um, Steve McLaren, completely boring. Simon Grayson, you'd expect to get linked to it. Steve McLaren, really on our list. Yeah, yeah. Steve, wow. Steve, you can get 18 to one on Steve McLaren. Um, someone who actually the, the name at the start of this process was around a bit more, but has now kind of yeah, dropped down a little bit is Ryan Giggs, um, who has absolutely no experience whatsoever. But um, I tell you what, I mean, like his his contacts book would be bloody good for any any team. Yeah, and and the profile he would bring. I mean, I think the big question about at the moment around Giggs is whether he's willing to drop down a level or two in order to prove himself. I think he ruled the, himself out of the Swansea job, didn't he, on the basis of the fact that it wasn't right for the him. The sense is he's been hanging on for a big Premiership, uh, Premier League uh, job. Um, you know, Wednesday could be an answer for him, but uh, again, I'd, I've seen rings run around Giggs at Hillsborough before, and. Um, I'd, I'd hate to see it happen again. Can I give you a couple of random ones? Please. You can get 33 to 1 on Danny Wilson. Uh, Major Wilson comes back to roost. 33 to 1 on Harry Redknapp. Uh, and my personal favourite, 50 to 1 on uh, Louis van Gaal to be the next manager. I saw manager that this afternoon of, um, actually on Twitter, yeah, somebody suggesting that. I mean, because uh, that works out really well for Man United. So. Uh, <laughs> Maybe get Ibrahimovic after his next injury. So there we go. I mean, there's a lot of names knocking about. It's entirely possible, actually, that the person that ends up being the manager of Sheffield Wednesday is not someone that we've that we've even talked about. I mean, one of the names that's been doing the rounds is Dean Smith, who is manager at Brentford. Yep. Um, who we're going to see on the weekend. I can't, I can't see that happening. However, it does lead us nicely on to um, the the coming days. I mean, football over Christmas is relentless in terms of the fact that we've. I mean, we've been recording for nearly an hour and a half and we've only talked really about a period of four days. Um, we're now entering a period of another three days where we've got two pretty big football games. We're away at Brentford yep. uh, and then at home to Burson, which is always an interesting one because of the fact that we are terminal unachievers when it comes to playing teams like And, and there's nothing more depressing than playing at home the day after New Year's Day when everyone's exhausted and you've got another chuffing football game to play and Burton turn up. I mean, you know... With 27,000 in there for Middlesbrough, which was kind of remarkable in some respects, given where we were in terms yeah, of yeah. form and, and attitude. But there should be a decent crowd in again for Burton. But the, the real question is, you know, if we can carry the the emotion and the feeling that we had yesterday against Forest into those two games. Um, I mean, Brentford away is, from what I understand, and I'm about to experience because I'm going to Brentford for the first time on uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, an amazing away day. You can guarantee there's going to be a lot of noise on Wednesday, but it's going to be a hard game. Brentford having a, a good season. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're right there or thereabouts with us in mid-table, and, and they they feel they're in shout with the playoffs, um, which is interesting. They're seven points off. They think that that's a reasonable gap to close. We're only a few points behind them, so win that game and, and everything's back in the mix uh, from their perspective. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a real asset test of, of what Lee Bullen is doing in terms of whether he can catalyse this squad for the rest of the season. We get a result away at Brentford in a hard game on Saturday and then convert that in a, in a win against Burton at home on um, Monday or Tuesday. I've lost track of days. It will uh, be New Year's Day Monday. Then, you know what, we'll go into 2018 with with a sense of kind of a, a bit of pride back and a bit of a momentum behind the squad again. 
Um, but every time I say that, things unravel. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wind that back and say I'll I'll be happy to get through this unscathed. You know, as long as we don't embarrass ourselves in those two games, I think that that's the watchword at the moment. It's about stabilisation and getting ourselves onto a level footing. Okay, um, as you say. Um, I didn't realise it was your first experience of, uh, of Brentford away. Yeah, the four um, pubs on every corner. We are, um, yeah, it is down to three now. I think one of them, one of them closed a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, the pub that we're ultimately going to is not one of those um, three at all. Three plus one. Um, but uh, yeah, as as um, as you would probably expect, and anyone that's a regular listener to uh, the Wednesday week will know that we are very pally with our friends down at Besotted, uh, and particularly Billy the Bee. Um, so um, yeah, we're doing our, our usual kind of pre-match routine but we are on a train from Sheffield at half past seven I think on um, on Saturday um, so I'm sure that there will be a lot of um, a lot of fun a lot of um, a lot of stuff to, going down to, as well to, to see it's, on there it's, it's in Owls America's the Wednesday week and uh, South Africa South African Owls yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah we've got um, Joe Cran who um, was I was actually with him at Forest on uh, Boxing Day but again it was because of the fact that you're not travelling together on the train so he travelled with his dad separately so we kind of met up at the ground and it actually feels like you barely say two words to each other because when the match is in play you're not really talking so um, yeah it should be a really really good day um, and certainly one thing for people to kind of follow on um, on Twitter because I'm sure that we all get ourselves into some very interesting situations um, so if anyone that doesn't follow you already that maybe wants to keep up with um, your kind of tweetage from, um, from Saturday how do they go about that? Uh, well, I'm at Manhattan Owl on Twitter. Um, I'm entirely dependent on being able to get a good Wi-Fi connection because I'm uh, I'm running an American cell phone, which doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't work with Vodafone apparently. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll be tweeting away from East Midlands trains on the way down and uh, and whichever pubs we end up with uh, down in Brentford. Brilliant. Um, anyone that that is going down to um, Brentford, uh, the Globe is the pub that we will be um, mainly centering our time in. Uh, it would be you know a pleasure to see anyone that, that wants to come along and have a um, have a pint with us and and meet our our friends down in um, in Brentford as well. Um, you can get hold of me on Twitter at James Marriott. Um, you can follow the podcast at TWWcast uh, and all the bits and bobs on the website, which doesn't feel quite the same without Lord H here to kind of get it wrong. Um, so I will... Do you want me to get it wrong? Yeah, if you could do. Yeah. So, I, I can never remember what it, what the website is. I mean, is, is it World what, W Worldwide Week at W what now? It's the Wednesday Week He has the problem with whether or not it's .co.uk or .com. And I'm like, well, we're in the UK. Just remember, you've got to go global. Yeah, it's uh, we've already got one global um, podcast. We uh, we don't need another. <laughs> um, James, thank you for your company this afternoon. It was light when we started. It's now pitch black outside. I know you've got a family meal to um, to get to. So thank you for your time. It's been a long four days. And um, how how much longer are you in the UK for? How, how much more football are you taking I, in? I am, I'm here for the next two games of the Bull and Era. So uh, so for Brentford and for uh, for Burton, and then I go home before we make the trip to. I think it's now been confirmed. Is it Carlisle away? It is Carlisle away. So I go I go home on the fifth of January. So I'll be back with the New York Owls and with Owls Americas for uh, for that. So uh, so look forward to. Uh, Commentating from afar as we uh, as we went to 2000, 2018. and I'm sure that there um, there isn't anyone that's already kind of given it a, a bit of a go. But you know, for the final ten seconds of this um, podcast, um, you know, here's, here's your chance to give a real plug to the Owls Americas for anyone that's maybe not given it a try yet. Uh, in 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 simple form, it's Americans talking about Wednesday, which is awesome. Um, 
you know, we're, uh, we, we get caught up in things a little bit being from Sheffield and with all the history they have. They see it in raw form from, uh, from 3,500 miles away. So, uh, so join Jeff, Evan um, and those of us expats that, uh, that kind of provide them a little bit of local context in, uh, in exploring the Isles of Merrickast in 2018. Yeah, we're really, uh, really looking forward to bringing more Wednesday nights into the fold. Brilliant, James. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget share boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh. Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.